This episode deals with issues of self-harm and suicide. It's meant for mature audiences only. Fun-loving, kind heart, biggest heart you could ever, ever find. It's the summer of 2020, and Charity Brown meets us at a park in a Minneapolis suburb. It's the height of the COVID pandemic, so we're sitting at separate picnic tables about a dozen feet apart. Kids skateboard and play in the background as she tells us about her brother, James Linus. He would do anything to make anybody happy. Just very lovable, sensitive, kind guy. He had some demons. He did. James's demons, meth, and heroin. I do believe he was self-medicating with the drug use. I say that because uh, injury occurred at our father's house about a year, year and a half before that, where a piece of sheet metal fell out of the rafters in the pole barn and chopped his nose, the tip of his nose off. And so image-wise, I believe that that was a hard thing. Then they also prescribed him painkillers. I believe it was the oxycodones that pretty much got him started and going because that wasn't working anymore, so he went further. Is that injury and that uh, the prescriptions, is that where his drug use started? To my knowledge, yes. On October 31st, 2017, James Linus was arrested for driving under the influence. The 31-year-old was taken to the Sherburne County, Minnesota jail. Charity says she and her brother were making plans for him to go to treatment when he got out of jail so he could put his life back together for his young daughter. That's all he cared about was his daughter, seeing his daughter, being with his daughter, spending time with his daughter. We had a plan. Like, we were, we had chosen a facility that he was gonna go to, and that facility was gonna allow him to not only get the help that he needed, as far as the addiction and the mental health. But he was also, on Sundays, they had a family day so his daughter could come and see him and spend some time with him. Before that could happen, nine days after being booked into the Sherburne County Jail, in his cell, James Linus hanged himself. I lost it. Charity throws her hands in the air, describing her despair the moment she got the call. Three years later, it still brings tears which run down her face as she speaks with us. I never thought that my brother would do something like that. That wasn't, I talked to him every day and multiple times a day. That wasn't something that I ever thought that he would be able to do. And at that point in time, you feel like, what else could I have done to help him? But there's not much you can do. However, there's a lot more that could have and should have been done to save James Linus. Our investigation finds his death is a glaring example of how, despite alarms and years of warnings, Minnesota leaders turned a blind eye failing 
to provide oversight of medical and mental health care behind jail bars, fueling heartbreak, despair, and needless loss of life. These suicides are uh, becoming epidemic in Minnesota County jails. I'm investigative reporter A.J. Legault. You're listening to Cruel and Unusual, Episode 6, The Suicide Crisis. As our investigation revealed in the last episode, we discovered in Minnesota, the percentage of jail deaths resulting from suicide is double that of the rest of the nation. My team and I know we've got to find the answer to a simple question that most likely does not have a simple answer. Why? What's the common denominator? Well, the failure to treat prisoners as human beings, whether correctionally or medically. This is Bob Bennett. He's one of, if not the most, experienced civil rights attorneys in Minnesota. When we first meet with him, Bennett is representing James Linus's family in a federal wrongful death lawsuit. He has several other jail suicide cases pending and has recently settled others for sizable payouts, which is rare when the death is the result of suicide. I asked him about the Linus case. At its heart, what is it about? It's about uh, the complete deliberate indifference to the serious medical needs of uh, James Linus, who was in obviously very serious uh, mental health crises at the time he uh, attempted to and did ultimately complete a suicide. He was not cared for by a doctor or by a qualified mental health provider. There's that allegation again, one we've heard over and over during the course of our investigation. A death behind bars and a claim that the person, obviously in need of medical or mental health care, never got to see a doctor. He wasn't ever getting any care. There was no care provided to him whatsoever. Charity says she spoke with her brother in jail daily. He never told her he was feeling suicidal, but complained about the pain of going through withdrawal. I continuously asked him, is anybody helping you? And he continuously told me, nobody's helping me. I'm not getting any kind of care or anything. He told you he wasn't getting any care? Yeah, he told me he wasn't getting any care. He wasn't on any medication to help him with the withdrawals or anything like that. Records show, at the Sherburne County Jail, James Linus gave a urine sample. He tested positive for numerous drugs and reported using both meth and heroin the day before he was booked. He told a jail nurse he hadn't been sober in a year and a half, a red flag that called for him to be closely monitored. And we know that... uh... Uh, both substance abuse and withdrawal, uh, whether it's from opioids or alcohol, when it's poorly treated, can be a risk factor for uh, for suicide in jail. Dr. Kevin Fisella is an addiction specialist and on the board of the National Commission on Correctional Healthcare. He says suicide risk is already elevated just by someone being incarcerated. Then if you overlay on top of that, somebody being with, in withdrawal, feeling physically sick, feeling acutely anxious and agitated, 
uh, loss of, uh, of control of, uh, of their behavior, the risk for, uh, for suicide is considerably heightened. This is all common knowledge in correctional medicine and jails in general. So as part of our investigation, we wanted to know what was done for James Linus and were there ignored warnings that he might attempt to take his own life? Jail records show a nurse with Sherburne County's private jail medical contractor, MEND Correctional Care, filled out a pair of forms when James entered the jail. The first was a chemical withdrawal flow sheet. A score of zero indicates no withdrawal symptoms, and a score of 10 requires the nurse to contact a doctor. The nurse scored James a two, no physician needed. He was also given a suicide risk screening form. Zero is the lowest risk on this form, and 36 points and above requires intervention by a higher level medical provider. The nurse rated James a two out of a possible 100 points. The next day, another men nurse saw James. She filled out another chemical withdrawal flow sheet and noted that he was reporting more symptoms of withdrawal but still scored him at a seven. No physician needed. Another day passes. Records show James now reports to the nurse he's in a lot of pain and had thoughts of self-harm. Another suicide risk screening form was filled out and James scored a 16. A withdrawal flow sheet was also done. James was scored a six. Both forms indicating no doctor needed. The next day, he again scored too low to need to see a doctor. Not once while in the jail did James score high enough on these two mend forms to rate seeing a doctor. Even as on multiple occasions, records show he acknowledged to mend nurses that he was having thoughts of self-harm. Thoughts he said he wouldn't act on, but clear indications that he was severely depressed. Seeing these records, his family is now left with so many questions. Among them... How is he scoring so low when you continuously are telling somebody that you're just not wanting your life to continue? Both the suicide risk and withdrawal forms are proprietary to MEND correctional care. MEND has them copyrighted. They're not worth the paper they're written on to me. Attorney Bob Bennett is extremely critical of these men forms. Here's why. When he asked the sole owner of the company and men's only doctor, Todd Leonard, to explain how he came up with the scoring scale on his copyrighted forms, he couldn't do it. Could you state your full name for the record, please? <clears throat> Todd Arthur Leonard. This is a sworn deposition. That means it's under oath. Do you solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you are about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. At this deposition, uh, Dr. Leonard uh, Bennett questions Dr. Leonard in relation to James Linus's suicide. He asks about the forms. So is it a form the men developed itself? I don't remember the specifics of its origin. Dr. Leonard also claims he can't remember or explain how on the suicide screener, 36 became the magic number an incarcerated person needs to score 
to receive intervention. Why 36? Um, I don't remember the specifics of that conversation. These are not surprise questions. There's no reason Dr. Leonard should be unprepared or caught off guard. That's because Bennett has asked him before the exact same things in a prior deposition for another jail suicide by one of men's patients, a young man named Kyle Baxter Jensen. And this is a form you... <clears throat> did you develop this form? Correct. Or did you copy it from some other form somewhere else? Um, in part from other things that we found. You know where you found it? I don't recall exactly. Kyle also had low scores on men's suicide assessment form. In that case, men and Stearns County paid out $1.45 million to settle with his family. And shortly thereafter, Stearns County stopped doing business with MEND. Here's Bennett again. Well, we have testimony, which I view as sworn testimony from Dr. Leonard, so I, I think it's more than an allegation. It's, it's a fact that he agreed to under oath, that he took those forms, the suicide risk form and the chemical withdrawal form, from someplace he doesn't know where. And he changed them, he doesn't know how. And he put on a scoring system that he doesn't know how the scoring relates to the actual risk of suicide or withdrawal. So it's a, it's a, it's a facade, a meaningless form that he agrees that he can't tell you, you know, what, what, the, what the answer to this question means with respect to the increase in suicidality or not. Or the same thing with chemical withdrawal. So they're, they're basically fictitious forms that we're all supposed to believe mean something and provide a patina of defense for him. Are you alleging that these forms are artificially deflated in order to not have to get a doctor to see this patient? Well, the, the getting the doctor is what is required by the, the scoring system. And the scoring system, admittedly, is not related to the actual risk of suicidality by any medically validated organization or means. So, yes, I am. A federal judge overseeing the lawsuit brought by James Linus's family wrote in official court records that the forms may have, quote, arbitrary thresholds, unquote. MEND is the largest jail medical provider in Minnesota. By our math, using jail population data, MEND is supposed to provide care for, on any given day, at least 2,700 inmates all across the state. So if they're using screening forms that don't adequately assess suicide risk, forms that could serve as a roadblock, preventing people in a mental health crisis from getting mental health care, that's a big deal. Are these forms then contributing to suicides in Minnesota jails? Well, to the extent they're falsely relied on, it provides false assurances at best and is harmful at worst. Those same suicide risk forms played a prominent role in a 2017 case where Bennett sued the Beltrami County Jail and MEND, accusing them of covering up after Stephanie Bunker a 39-year-old woman with mental illness hanged herself. The lawsuit alleged that after Stephanie was already dead, a men nurse changed answers on her suicide risk form 
lowering her score. Why? Bennett says it was a post-death cover-up of the fact that she should have seen a doctor. Are you saying records were changed after she died? Yes. Changed? Changed from 36 to 28. That sort of change. It's right in the complaint. From you need to go see a doctor to you don't need to go see a doctor. And that was done after her death? That was after, not only after she hung herself, but actually she actually expired. In court filings, Mend denied the cover-up and overall responsibility for Stephanie's death, but paid $1.2 million to settle the case. Beltrami County paid another million dollars. The forms we've been discussing are not the only aspect of men's mental health care for incarcerated individuals to come under fire. Men's website states they're a, quote, mental health care provider. It also says they have a, quote, psychiatric team. But that's not true. Dr. Leonard himself walked back that claim under oath in a deposition for the James Linus lawsuit. There is no psychiatrist, is there? Yeah, I don't know if I would have used the word psychiatric. But the men did. Somebody from my team wrote that word. While acknowledging men has no psychiatric team, Dr. Leonard regularly describes members of his team, the nurses and physician assistants he uses, as qualified mental health professionals. But there's a problem. It's a claim some of those very same people have under oath, denied. Listen to how this plays out in depositions as Dr. Leonard is asked about a physician's assistant named Crystal Wagmeister, who is part of the men team responsible for James Linus's care. Crystal Wagmeister is not a qualified mental health professional, correct? I believe she is definitely a qualified men- mental health professional. But when Wagmeister herself is asked if she's a mental health professional, she responds... So you'd agree with me, you're not, by way of training and education, a qualified mental health professional. you agree with that? Right, I'm a physician assistant, not a mental health professional. James Linus never got to see a mental health professional before he used his bedsheets to hang himself in his cell. His sister, Charity, believes James's death was preventable if he'd only gotten care. Should have been better protection for anybody in that situation, whether it be my brother or the next person. Our investigation discovered the missteps did not end when James died. To avoid preventable deaths, the National Commission on Correctional Healthcare spells out three separate reviews should happen whenever an inmate dies. An administrative review to see where jail policies and procedures can be improved a clinical mortality review to assess whether medical and mental health care could have been better provided. And if it's a suicide, a psychological autopsy needs to be done. That's a focus on the mental health factors that contributed to the death. The point of that is really to learn from mistakes and improve. This is Dr. Fisella, who we introduced you to earlier. Remember, he's on the board of the National Commission. You do this review with an eye towards saying, what are we going to do different to prevent this from happening in the future? What can we learn from this tragic incident? And that's important? 
That's important. Yeah. What 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 policies and procedures do we need to have in place so that this wouldn't happen to the next person who, who is incarcerated? Why would you not want to learn from your mistakes and learn from deaths to prevent future deaths in, in the future? I mean, this is a learning from what is happening in your own facility. The decisions that were made, the policies, the procedures, the training, all of those things. And I think, you know, many, you know, most jails and prisons uh, want to improve. But we did not find that to be the case in Minnesota. As part of our investigation, my team and I surveyed every jail in the state that had had a death in the previous five years. There were 30 jails where inmates died. But we learned only three of them complied with national standards for doing death reviews. Sherburne County was one of the jails ignoring national standards. When James Linus died, there is no record that a review of the mental health care he received or a psychological autopsy was done. We did not follow this to the letter of this uh, standard because we were not an accredited facility at the time. That's Dr. Leonard again testifying in a deposition. He basically claims to have investigated himself, saying he reviewed the care his team provided James and found no mistakes, so he never put anything in writing. I simply told everyone that I spoke to that I did not find substantive issues with the care of this patient that I felt required changes moving forward. Did you do a, a psychological autopsy? I did not. Care 11 identified 25 jail deaths between 2015 and 2020, where Mend was the jail's health care provider. When asked, under oath, if he ever found problems or put anything in writing regarding reviews of any cases, Dr. Leonard gave this answer. I just I just don't recall if I've got a a final written report from any as is, as you sit here today review. can you name one written report I can't name one okay Minnesota lawmakers were warned about these failures years ago back in 2016 the legislative auditor found in Minnesota reviews of jail suicides did not live up to professional standards, specifically pointing out that there was, quote, no review of the adequacy of mental health or clinical care given to the inmate, end quote. But state leadership did nothing, and vulnerable people like James Linus continued to die, with little to no oversight of the health care they did or did not receive in Minnesota jails. Here's James's sister, Charity. These are humans as well, and they, they deserve a chance. They deserve the care that should be provided. Denying this care can prove costly. Fast forward to early 2021, and Sherburne County and Men Correctional Care paid James Linus's family a lot of money to settle the wrongful death lawsuit. This is attorney Bob Bennett again. It was $2.3 million, a million from MEND Correctional Care, and a million three from Sherburne County. Both MEND and an attorney representing Sherburne County sent us similar statements, 
pointing out the settlements came with no admission of wrongdoing. Bennett doesn't buy it. I mean, I've been dealing with that concept my whole career. And I find it kind of odd that somebody would pay you $2.3 million and it wasn't their fault. You know, you just wouldn't pay that much money unless you were liable. The city and county defendants don't do that to their taxpayers either. From the beginning, we've wanted to talk with Dr. Leonard about all of this directly. We're now in the third year of this investigation, and he's repeatedly refused our numerous interview requests. We've even walked up to him in public. AJ Legault with CARE 11 News. Can you tell us why Hardell Sherrill was left in that cell without medical care until he died? I want to have your root officer. Uh, yeah. James Linus. Should I let you in? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Why won't you answer any of our questions, sir? Dr. Leonard just walks away, refusing to even make eye contact. On the next episode of Cruel and Unusual. Were you and the county aware of Dr. Leonard's history? I certainly was not. Our investigation exposes a hidden history of discipline, unethical behavior, and questionable care by the doctor behind Minnesota's largest jail medical company. And everyone should be outraged. Every healthcare professional should be outraged. And a judge issues a bombshell finding. The judge further urges that the state of Minnesota investigates all who callously disregarded their duty to this man. A tragedy like this should never have occurred and it must never be allowed to happen again. This episode focused on substance use and suicide. If you or someone you love is experiencing mental health-related distress, thoughts of suicide, or in a substance use crisis, you can dial 988 to reach the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, where compassionate, accessible care and support is available. Again, that number to dial is the three-digit code 988. I'm AJ Legault. Producers are Brandon Stahl, Steve Eckert, and Gary Knox.